Global Voices on Taiwan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Global Voices on Taiwan. I'm Rath Wang, a news producer and host. Hello, everybody. My name is Vincent Chow. I work for uh, Pres- Vice President Lai Ching-de's uh, election campaign as his spokesperson. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be exploring with you on how the latest world events from near and afar impact Taiwan and how this island nation shakes the world. Uh, we invite international journalists, experts in this case, and policymakers to talk about Taiwan and to share their insights about current events here. Joining us online from America today is Shelley Rigger, a renowned global Taiwan expert and author of Why Taiwan Matters, Small Island, Global Powerhouse. Shelley is also professor of East Asian Studies at Davidson College and senior fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. Welcome to the podcast, Shelley. Despite the hype around strains in the trilateral Taiwan-U.S.-China relationship, you offered a rather reassuring voice at the American Legion National Security Commission recently. Can you tell us specifically why you believe it's not as as dire as it sounds like? Yeah, a lot of Americans seem to have really gotten attached to the idea that you know Taiwan is this emerging crisis and really dangerous situation. And uh, often when they're making those kinds of claims, it's hard to get beneath the surface of the panic and really understand what it is that is, is supposedly happening at this very moment uh, that makes this situation so dangerous. So I think there's a little bit of a, a fashion for uh, paying attention to Taiwan that has everything to do with U.S. politics rather than really cross-strait relations or Taiwan politics. So Americans are in a moment where they feel very uh, threatened by the rise of the PRC, and they have kind of stumbled upon Taiwan as a factor in U.S.-China relations that now that they're worrying about U.S.-China relations, you know, they're also worrying about Taiwan. But I think if you've been living in Taiwan for a long time or you've been paying attention to Taiwan for a long time, you understand that this is not a new problem or it's not a a new, I mean, Taiwan is not a problem, right? (laughs) Taiwan is definitely a real country with 23 million people in it um, and not a problem. But as an issue in international relations, as a point, a focal point for disagreement that needs to be managed, there's nothing new about uh, the Taiwan issue. And it is one that Taiwan and the United States and honestly, the PRC have managed successfully for 70 years and have avoided conflict. And so I tend to think uh, that much of a history of successful management and maintaining a peaceful situation in the Taiwan Strait deserves our attention at least as much as, you know, the possibility that something could change. Well, thank you, uh, Shelley. That's reassuring and and quite positive and optimistic, uh, which is contrary, like you said, uh, to many analysis going around uh, today, both in international media as well as international policymakers. But you know, I, I am. Um, you've written pretty extensively about President Tsai Ing-wen, and uh, recently you had said in the FT, the Financial Times, that 
She is exactly the leader Taiwan needs. Throughout her past years, throughout the past eight years, she's committed herself to a couple of things, but foremost amongst them, um, ensuring stability and cross-strait relationship by maintaining the status quo, um, supporting our um, defense deterrence, um, and enhancing our economic security. I was wondering from your perspective as a professor, but also as a longtime observer of Taiwan, and what do you mean by the comments, um, she is exactly the sort of leader Taiwan needs, and how do you rate her past eight years in office? Yeah, I think uh, Tsai Ing-wen has been incredibly successful at making difficult decisions in a way that is very low drama. A lot of politicians are attracted by opportunities to make a splash, to say something that's going to really get a lot of attention. Um, you know, we see this in the United States a lot, um, all over the world. It's and especially, honestly, in democratic countries where you're you do need as a politician to have the eye of the public and the ear of the public. It's very hard to do the kind of low-key, boring thing that will actually be the most successful policy, but not be the one that's going to be, you know, politically galvanizing for your for your supporters or for your country. And I think the more narrow the range of choices a leader has, the more important it is to kind of settle in and learn how to make fine adjustments. And that is where uh, Tsai Ing-wen has really excelled. Taiwan has a very narrow path that it has to navigate. It can't um, go too far in any direction without provoking a response from the outside that could be devastating. And so its leaders have to find a way to inspire the confidence of the people while sticking on that relatively narrow path. And that's where I think uh, President Tsai has really excelled, especially given the nature of leadership in the PRC and through uh, much of her first term in office and part of her second term in office in the United States, where, uh, you know, the, the leadership in the PRC is very... Um, ambitious in some ways, but also sometimes um, seeming to see a need to grab at solutions to serious problems that are emerging. And then during the Trump administration in the United States, you know, uh, U.S. policy was the policy process at a minimum was totally chaotic. I think everyone agrees on that. And so there were a lot of temptations put before President Tsai to maybe get off that narrow path. And she stayed on the narrow path and she she sailed the ship of state through eight years of very troubled waters without a single disaster. <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a good point. And, and uh, you know, I was in D.C., uh, during the second half of the Trump administration, the last two years, I was also there for the first part of the Biden administration as well. And, you know, I can say for a fact that many of the issues that you pointed out uh, in terms of uh, President Tsai Ing-wen's personality and her ability to juggle and to manage uh, competing interests um, are true. 
uh, and that I think she did um, do her best to ensure stability within not only the cross-strait context, but also the broader international context, despite um, turbulence, um, primarily from Xi Jinping um, in past years. Going back to what you said, um, Shelley, in terms of um, the PRC leadership being more assertive and how President Tsai actually navigated through this um, calmly. And, but what do you see for the next four years? Um, do you feel that the continuation of the same um, calmness that we see in Taiwan needs to be in the Taiwan presidential office so that we can ensure that Taiwan continues to thrive and democracy here. And as you mentioned, Taiwan is unique. It's a nation state and it continues to survive. I think the next Taiwanese leader will have the same narrow path that uh, he will have to navigate. And it, I guess at this point, it's definitely going to be a man. We don't know which one, but um, so I can say he. Uh, there is very little room for maneuver at this moment. That is not to say that there will never be more room for maneuver for Taiwan. I think you know the situation for Taiwan was uh, less restricted in some parts of the Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao era, although it was very restricted even then, uh, but maybe less restricted than it is now. I don't think that, uh, in fact, I, I think I can say with high confidence that Xi Jinping will not remain in office forever, but I think <laughs> there's also an excellent chance that Xi Jinping will remain in office through the next Taiwanese presidential administration, which means that the next president will be managing a leader who is very jealous of his own power and authority and uh, quite unwilling to show any kind of um, gentle face to anyone, actually, inside or outside of mainland China. So I think uh, the next leader will need to be very cautious and prudent in managing not only that relationship, but also relationships around the world, including in the U.S., where you have some uh, American politicians who I think are in danger of loving Taiwan to death. I heard that often when I was in the U.S. and there were always questions about, you know, whether something was in Taiwan's interest or not. And, you know, I, I, I did tend to think and my experience in the United States was that most of the, the vast, vast majority of initiatives taken by the United States were well coordinated and discussed with us and were in in benefit to both our mutual interests and, 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 you know, uh, on the basis of our shared values. So, you know, I certainly, um, how to say past success is no guarantee of future success and things could always change depending on how the international context shifts. Uh, but you know, my experience in DC was that, um, actions, uh, regardless of whether it was during the Trump administration or the Biden administration were always well coordinated, but I'm, I'm sorry, Rath had a question, but just, Quickly, in terms of follow-up, Shelley, because it, basically what we're talking about is the future now, the future of Xi Jinping, the future of us. And how do you see these problems compounding in China for Xi Jinping? Because we see this economic slowdown. We see um, a problem in the real estate market right now, a problem in, in terms of debt with local governments, a, problem, a slowdown in manufacturing sector and exports and so forth. And um, how are these problems going to compound for Xi Jinping? And do they increase the risks for Taiwan and for other um, stakeholders around the world? The PRC state has made incredible 
success over the last 40 years or more, 45 years, by undoing the mistakes of the first 30 years of, you know, the existence of the PRC state. The economic policy during the Mao era was so terrible and so uh, relentlessly repressing the natural energy of the Chinese economy that, you know, there was an enormous amount of un- realized potential in the Chinese economy. And that potential carried China through from being really a a very, very poor and uh, underdeveloped economy to being an economy, parts of which, right, are equivalent to the most uh, well-developed, industrialized, urbanized, uh, upper middle class uh, parts of the world. But if you look at the GDP per capita of the PRC, it is still on a par with countries like Mexico, Russia, which are not wealthy countries, right? The PRC on a per capita basis still has a long way to go to lift all of its people into the kind of standard of living that Xi Jinping and other leaders have led uh, Chinese to expect. Meanwhile, the size of China itself and of the Chinese economy has meant that unlike other new entrants into the global economy, China's, the the velocity and magnitude of the Chinese economic explosion actually intrudes upon the economic potential and opportunities of other highly developed countries. So what you have today is you have that unrealized potential from the 1970s and 80s kind of topping out. You know, the the potential has been largely realized at the same time that there's a global backlash to the size of uh, China's economic position in the world, and honestly, to the ways in which China has achieved that economic position. So I think we may be at an inflection point for China, where the mechanisms that have been effective in the past in kind of pushing China through a period of uh, economic challenge are no longer going to be enough. And so I think that, you know, the the PRC government may have to kind of dig in and uh, try to do some of the harder things, some of the kind of um, redistributive policy to raise incomes of uh, the lower end of the workforce, uh, the kinds of things that up to now they've uh, been able to avoid that are costly and that will require the focused attention of the leadership. Those kinds of reforms may ultimately be necessary within uh, the very near future. And that will make things harder for for Xi Jinping. I am not someone who believes that the first tool that he will reach for is some kind of um, nationalistic undertaking, like, uh, you know, ratcheting up the pressure a lot on Taiwan. I think the PRC leadership would still like to avoid a conflict in the Taiwan Strait. But uh, certainly there are a lot of folks who would say, we have to keep that 
possibility in mind that as things become harder domestically, that um, the PRC may look to something like a Taiwan um, uh, moves on Taiwan as a way to distract people from the economic crisis. They have. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's great you mentioned um, economics and especially in your book, Why Taiwan Matters, you talk about how Taiwan is so powerful in the global economy and how do you feel Taiwan needs to um, do in terms of economics to maintain that and to make sure that the world continues to see Taiwan in the same way? I go to a, a regular economic meeting about Taiwan where uh, very, very knowledgeable people report on the Taiwan stock market and the Taiwan kind of uh, manufacturing landscape. And one thing that is just totally fascinating is that almost every year, the focal point of those presentations shifts to a new industry. So for many years, we heard a lot about the Apple supply chain, you know, Foxconn and other manufacturers in the Apple supply chain and how important that was to Taiwan. And so we would hear about what's the next big Apple product that's coming on the market and what's that going to do to Taiwan stocks and so on. Then it was semiconductors, all about semiconductors for a couple of years, TSMC, et cetera, all the rest. I was at the meeting yesterday and uh, we talked a little about semiconductors, no mention of the Apple supply chain at all. Uh, all they, the, the conversation was all about artificial intelligence and electric vehicles and Taiwan's role in the AI and EV supply chains. What that says to me is that Taiwan is still Taiwan still has it, right? You know, Taiwan is still able to get on the front end of new technological trends such that it is integral to the supply chain of whatever the next big thing is going to be. And that I think is has always been Taiwan's great economic strength and the fact that, you know, once again Taiwan is riding a new wave, the next wave, not falling behind, but staying at the front. Um, that makes me uh, really confident. But, you know, the thing that makes me even more confident is knowing that uh, Taiwan is full of people who are already saying, oh, you know, AI and EV, that won't last. What's the next next thing after that? <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's never been an economy that rested on yesterday's successes. There's always a lot of uh, forward looking entrepreneurship and a lot of momentum so, you know, I think and I do believe that that is the most important thing is to continue to be that innovative uh, player that can supply kind of the boring inside parts of uh, the products that everybody needs around the world. Well, Shelley, we've been trying something new in this podcast, which is we've been trying to end on optimistic notes. So <laughs> that was a great note um, to, to to end this podcast on because uh, Taiwan's economic successes, our achievements, our resiliency are seen um, by long-term observers such as you, but really uh, have been a measure of success for the past eight years under President Tsai Ing-wen as well. And, you know, we've seen GDP growth. We've seen uh, unemployment um, at historic lows. We've seen the minimum wage grow over 40%. I mean, these are indicators of 
what you had mentioned, which is a successful economy that plans ahead. And so I am personally, we are grateful for your time, Shelley. We know it's very, very late where you are at. So thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule. Thank you so much, Shelley. To ensure you don't miss out on our exciting insights from this island nation's captivating stories, make sure you subscribe on our preferred podcast or social media platform. You could also check our full video out on YouTube. Thank you again, Shelley, and we hope to see you next time.